Well, hello, dear listener. You're listening to National Demystified. I'm your host, Alex Steed. It has been a while. National Demystified is a show where we talk with folks who uh, live, work, agitate, and make art around Nashville, Tennessee. It's been over a year since we have connected, I believe. Not over a year, maybe close to a year. It's been very, very close to a year since we last connected. And a lot has happened, my friends, uh, just nationally, uh, personally, etc. I came to Maine, which is where I'm originally from, or, you know, Mainers wouldn't consider it pure because I'm from Massachusetts originally, but I consider Maine my home state. And Nashville very quickly became my home when I was here back a year before last got into making this show to get to know the city better. I tried to, uh, you know, get acquainted. And I so quickly fell in love with the city and all of the people that I met, all the folks that I had the pleasure of having conversations with, the people from We Own This Town, people I talked with week after week on the show. And Nashville really became it for me. Nashville is home. And uh, last year... In March, my lovely wife, Carolyn Kendrick, who's actually producing this week's episode, is putting this week's episode together. We moved back to Maine for what was going to be three months. We were going to come for three months. Carolyn was filling in for someone who's going to be on maternity leave, teaching at their fiddle school. And uh, we came up on March 1st. By March 13th, the country was shut down. And I have a business called Knack Factory, which is a business that makes this show possible. And uh, that business very nearly crashed, you know, and I was pretty sure it was over. We were living in a random apartment. We didn't know how long that was going to be for. And then we moved to the house I grew up in. You know, we just kind of tried to figure out what was going on <laughs> with the rest of the country. And you know, this was a rough time for the country for sure. And it was most certainly a rough time for Nashville who, you know, I think a lot of people unfortunately have forgotten by now because all the other stuff that's piled up onto everyone's experience in the past year that Nashville got a running start into what this last year has looked like with the tornado of 2020. God damn it, man. I have missed the city. I hadn't known for long swaths of time whether, I mean, I knew I was going to be back. I knew in my heart I was going to be back. I knew I was coming coming home. But <laughs> there were long stretches of this, like for many of us, where I was like, I, who, who knows what's next? I especially felt that way towards, you know, September, October, November last year. And then I got really honestly November into January. I'm not just talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about the uh, overall catastrophe of the past stretch, but coming home, I'm very excited about it. I can't tell you how excited I can. I guess it's my job to tell you how excited I am about it. I spent a lot of time in Portland, Maine, which is where I built my business and which is where I built a lot of my life. I hit a ceiling on it. It's a small place. It's a lovely place. If you get a chance to visit Portland, I strongly and highly recommend it. I love it. So much of it is in me. I love the place and I, I owe it a lot, but I just hit a ceiling in a lot of ways, you know, personally, 
professionally by way of fulfillment. And, you know, sometime a couple of years back, I decided I was going to move to Los Angeles and that's where I was going to go. And that's where I was going to recalibrate. And then I happened upon Nashville. It was kind of absolutely accidental. And from the second I was there, you know, I met people who took care of me and not just took care of me, who I learned from. And there's a thing about being around thoughtful and careful and lovely and just extraordinarily talented and wonderfully ambitious people is that, first of all, it opens your heart. And that's incredibly lovely. And that's a gift. And I got so much. I got that with almost everyone I spent time with in my time in Nashville. And I do want to offer the caveat that I probably got all this because I'm not a musician. <laughs> like I'm not in Nashville trying to make it, you know, or I'm not there trying to like make money on the industry. And I'm not poo-pooing that at all, but I imagine it's a much different experience for folks who have a two-dimensional vision of what they want it to be. You know, for me, it's about where, where is their heart? And uh, I got so much of it when I was there. So much of it. I've never experienced so much. And this show is a huge part of it. And the heart of the city is a huge part of it. And, you know, being a person who is passionate about place and about people, you know, as I feel privileged to be, uh, that was a big part of it. I spent every minute in Maine, you know, appreciating a lot of it, appreciating a lot of what the past year has made possible is as difficult as it's been, but I have not spent a day in which I have not imagined getting back in surrounding myself with all that heart. It very quickly overnight became a place where my heart is. I'm eager to revel in that again. So that's enough from me. I'm eager to get back into it. I'm happy that you're back here with us. I want to thank We Own This Town for making Nashville Demystified possible. And I want to thank Knack Factory, which you know, at the height of this thing, I thought might be over along with everything else, but, uh, I'm grateful we're back and, uh, stronger than ever. So if you need commercial video content production, you know, to be part of your standing out online, to be a part of how you are seen on this information superhighway, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. We're still here. <laughs> All right, so we talked with Maggie Rose, and uh, so lucky to have her. What happened was I had started another podcast called Why Our Dads with my great friend Sarah Marshall, who's a co-host at You're Wrong About. We have this show where we talk about feelings and vulnerability and what it's like to be the adult children of adults. <laughs> and we talk about it by watching, uh, watching movies. And Maggie joined us. Uh, Maggie listens to the show apparently. And she joined us and she talked about how uh, we talked about Pretty Woman. And I was like, hey, do you want to be on this show that is uh, very specifically focused on Nashville? And she was so cool. And she said, yeah, I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate that Maggie took this time. So if you end up enjoying this interview, which I hope that you do, I hope that you'll listen to this uh, conversation we had with Maggie over at Wire Dads. Check that out too. 
Um, I can't think of any ways to set this up outside of the fact that the recording situation was not ideal on my end and the reasons are absolutely convoluted, but I had to record my audio through my phone. There are reasons why it just seems like it didn't, it's not perfect. The show usually sounds very good. It sounds a little less than very good, but still the conversation is wonderful and I hope that you'll, I hope that you'll stick it out. Yeah, let me know what else we should cover in the coming forever. All right, let's get in this conversation with Maggie. I'm happy we're back together. I'm just, I'm extraordinarily grateful after a year of absolute fuckery. Let's do this. So thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate you being here again. I'm so happy you're relaunching it. Congratulations. Thank you. What made you want to? When we moved to Nashville in 2019, I only know how to meet people if I'm doing stuff, if I'm like making things and I don't make music. And so I was like, this is how I'll get to know the city. Yeah. And I did it and it was great. And it was like pretty well received and I met a bunch of people and it became like my community. So yeah, now that we're going back, I was like, I didn't know when we were going back. Mm -hmm. That kind of determined it. And then when I knew we were going back, I was like, all right, cool. That's the story of my last year too. I sort of alluded to it the other day and I'm finally putting this album out in August that... I've been working on for so long, but it was pretty much ready to go. We had 80 shows already booked in March and we were still filling out the rest of our year. So in the absence of that, it was really difficult to contend with the idea that we were going to just throw this huge piece of work that we invested time and money on without supporting it. But the moment is nigh. So we're, we're getting ready to do it. What's that like to make a thing that was supposed to come out a year ago, which I think like already when you make a thing and by the time it's here, you're making other things. What's it like to be on that hold for that stretch? So that was a conversation that I've had with myself and my team so many times, especially with the ambiguity of when are things going to start back up and Mm -hmm. how do we plan this rollout when we don't have, you know, all the pieces of the puzzle and information that we need to make the best decision. But what I did was just decided with my team that we're going to wait to put this out because it's a pretty joyous album. It was definitely written during 2019, 2020 with all the contention that was going on just on the political scale. And it was my way to find some catharsis in that. And I was making it at Fame Studios as well, which is definitely known for producing music from Aretha and Otis Redding and Wilson Pickett and the Almond Brothers and the Stones. And there's this timeless throwback right. element to that music. So I wanted to make something timeless that you wouldn't hear it and be like, oh, that was written when Trump was in office or whatever. You would draw conclusions from that music. So it has a timeless element to it. But I had to sort of put it away for a second and really focus on what or what we were all going through collectively. So I wrote a song that was a quarantine-specific 45, and in both the content of the songs and how we made it, which was remotely in our bedrooms, just piecing it together, sending files to our friends on the West Coast to mm. put bass on it. And I got this crappy piano out of my shed that had been just kind of taunting me that I hadn't been paying attention to and wrote some songs 
on that and collaborated with my friends Then Vibes to write a song called 2020, which was written right after John Prine passed away and Kenny Rogers and Bill Withers. And I think like having the piano sort of unlocked a, a different songwriting sensibility in me and just really leaned into what was going on, knowing that I had this great body of work that I intended to support with touring. And then I kind of allowed myself to listen to that music again and fine tune it, mixing it and tweaking it and, and getting it as good as I could possibly get it. And I've totally fallen in love with it even more than I, I think I was when we initially tracked it. And it's because those messages within the songs hmm. are more relevant now than maybe they even were before. Because it's about inclusivity and, and finding my place at the proverbial table. The album's called Have a Seat. And I don't know what genre I am in, I'm in, but it's about inviting everyone to have a seat at the table. There is a designated space for everybody listening to one another and definitely knowing where my specific spot is too in the musical landscape. So it feels kind of like it's sustained and survived this weird time that we're in. Right. Wait, what was Nashville like when you when you first got there for you? <laughs> I mean, I understand the, the circumstance was specific, but what was what was your experience when you first got to town? I was living by Vanderbilt. The huge Demumbrian where there are all these expensive condos and high rises was a big vacant parking lot that was just for the bars that existed across the street. It was a much smaller town, very slow pace. I'm an East Coast girl, so coming from the DC area, it was a bit of a shock to come here and <laughs> and deal with the change in pace, but I don't, it was also baptism by fire in a sense because I was working with some of the best writers who are still, in my opinion, some of the most accomplished songwriters and every day just like a sponge and, and humbled because I was always the best singer where I came from and then you come to Nashville and <laughs> the barista that you see every day can sing circles around you or, or play an instrument better than anyone you've ever witnessed. So I think it was hugely educational and of course it wasn't perfect and there's the good old boys club and there's a lot of things structurally about Nashville especially in mm. the early 2000s that you know we're all trying to reconcile and and make better but it really is one of the best places to be if you're a musician because you either get better or you leave and I think if you aren't doing either of those things, then it might just be a hobby for you because mm. there's so much digging you can do with what we have in our arsenal here. I found not even being a musician, just the proximity to ambition is something that, you know, I didn't know was missing in my life as intensely as it was until... I was around, around just like wildly ambitious people. And then you were like, oh, okay. Like this really stretches your brain about what you think is potentially possible, which is a great thing. <laughs> I agree. But I also think Nashville has, there is a work-life balance that exists here mm. that I don't think is, is super apparent in LA when I go there. Yeah. <laughs> 
like I'm exhausted when I come home. I'm a weird married lady. Whereas for me, that was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to work. I'm married now and don't need to deal with that drama. Um, like having stability at home is something that I think reinforces what I do. And it lets me really zero in on my music and my goals. And in LA, I'll go and I'll leave sometimes with maybe a handful of songs. And sometimes we're in the studio at two in the morning, just like listening to a loop over and over again. Whereas in Nashville, it's like we start at 10 and we usually wrap by five and you have something to show for it. And I have criticisms of that attitude too, because I think any song should be explored and and should never be done until it's done. So finding the balance between those two approaches is just a constant effort. But it's it's a hardworking, more structured kind of community that does allow for you to have a family life and a house and a dog and like a garden maybe if you want one. And yeah, and like people to come and hang. Like that's the other thing yes. I love about it is like just the fact that every house that I've been to as a community. Yeah. <laughs> it's really nice. Absolutely. Thing. Well, I mean, even just like we have mutual friends uh, through living in Nashville, the support is real. And again, I love working in LA and New York and I'm lucky to be in those rooms and collaborate with all these talented people from all over. But I feel like I can write a great song with a pop trap guy today and tomorrow go work on something for film and TV and then try and help a young artist in development at Sony today. Like we were writing for her record Mm. and she's trying to find her voice. And that's really what has allowed me to do this for so long without getting burnt out. I can help people build their sound from the ground up. And also my personal outfit around me is a band them vibes and they are my family like they're all in my wedding (laughs) i'm married to my husband who's part of my management team my drummer sarah who's been with me for almost nine years is married to brother love of them vibes (laughs) and then my keyboard player and other guitar player they've been dating for a while and i'm kind of like hey if it doesn't work out you still are in the band and you have to figure your shit out, but... Remember Fleetwood Mac. I, yes, I, and I've said that. We've used that example many times. And, you know, some people are like, wow, that's a, it's a tough dynamic. But for me, it's made this period during the pandemic so productive because yeah. we're, like, falling asleep. We're like, what if we did this for the video? And luckily, we love it. And if we start to not love that working relationship... And we do something about it. But I think that we're in a really good spot because it's allowed us to just keep the output going. And I'm engaging with my team. We all live in the East Nashville area, too. And shedding songs. That's how we did the Quarantine 45. I was over at Sarah, my drummer's house, and her husband, Brother Love's house, recording vocals in their bedroom. And if if we were all scattered all over the country and just kind of got together to get on the tour bus and hit the road, then I think all this time in between and that camaraderie would, um, wouldn't would be there. And it's made me not 
desperate at the thought to keep this going, but it's, it's definitely a motivating factor that this is not just about me, it's about my community, both in the bigger sense of Nashville and, and who has helped me bring this music to life and bring it to life on stage. Is that something that's happened for you organically or, or like when you started, was it like, this is my community or did your community get born out of that journey? And then it became evident sort of who, who you would be with, like who you would be with as your family. The second option yeah. it was <laughs> definitely born out of struggle, failures. I'm saying quotations. Um, when I first moved here, I was green. I had an investor who I'm still friends with but he would admittedly say that he was green too. And we had some heavy hitters behind us with good intentions, but you know, there's a bankroll and an eagerness and a willingness. So then I went through a whole brand change. I, I was going by Margaret Durante in the first couple of years of my career and to hit a full reset. I was like, I'm going to try this again with intention and mm -hmm. ask myself the questions that I never really did, uh, that every artist should ask of themselves. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be remembered by your legacy? How, like, what's your message for people? And from that point on, I started going by Maggie Rose and the evolution just never stopped from there on. And even then there was a lot of weird, I keep saying political, but I mean, it was just some, some bullshit about the country radio effort specifically that was really hard to to deal with and to accept and it didn't feel like music was really being put first so in the last six years I think I've really found my community that I want to make music with I've found great management I've been independent by choice for a long time which is great because I have I'm a really lucky, well-built-out independent artist, so I have all these awesome resources, but the autonomy and ability to do things on my own terms and make records where I want to make them and release them when I want to release them. But that wasn't something that I would have been able to do early on. Right. It's taken a long time. I'm older than a lot of the people that I spend time with usually, like for my community in, in Nashville was like 10 years younger than me <laughs> for the most part. And I feel like I'm like constantly just like, you know, like people obviously for understandable reasons, people fuck up and they, and they fuck up not because they fucked up, but they fuck up because that's gonna, that's a thing that's going to happen, right? In one mm -hmm. way or another. And, and you just at some point come to know that it's like, well, you know, the debris is what you're going to build a nice thing on top of. Yes. Don't worry. I mean, worry, obviously, because it's hurting you and it's it's stressful and all that stuff. But it's like, really, it's like that th the idea that it's like the burned field is more fertile for new growth. Absolutely. And we also just don't die when we turn like 28, you know? Right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was talking to an artist the other day who was dreading turning 30. I was like, oh, I'm so happy my 20s are over because there was a lot of scary stuff that came with that and not knowing who I was and I know a lot of really smart 20-somethings but that's just not where I was I was a bit of a late bloomer and I think a lot of that had to do with the infrastructure around me mm. and also like I've had young younger artists mostly female ask me like how do you deal with 
these uncomfortable situations or if like a powerful figure kind of tries to mm. exert that authority and make you do things that you don't want to do and the peace that's come with having done this for so long and and knowing that you don't stop living at 28 and your whole world doesn't blow up if if your record label folds or whatever because all these things have happened to me I've turned 28 and I've had my record label fold (laughs) (laughs) you decide that you want to keep doing this and you don't need to get there with that person's help there's always a way to circumvent Mm. and one opportunity one individual uh, is not going to change your life you know if if that's so important to you then it's probably not something that you're going to be able to uphold on your own either if you need this person or this opportunity then right you're probably not headed to a very long-term career after that you know and the unfortunate thing is you might not have the perspective to know exactly what you're saying which is like there are other people who are have probably better opportunities around but you can't you know you can't know that if you don't have the perspective oh god it's the worst being in your 20s is the fucking worst yeah it really is (laughs) i did not have the confidence in myself that i i should have had and i think as an artist like that's your job is to figure out like where does your compass point and and follow that because there is no template there never has been and there certainly isn't now so you kind of have to write your own rules and it's really scary but it should be scary yeah whenever i'm just absolutely riddled with anxiety i'm like well that that means we're probably in an area where we're growing and that's good yeah totally this is not like a comfortable lifestyle like you picked a hell of a career if you want to be comfortable so that means it's working there's the other thing that came up when when we chatted the other day about um when i was looking for a place to live you know i wanted to speaking of la i wanted to go to la and then i was like it's almost like i had decided that was an answer and i was like what is the question to this answer <laughs> i think a lot of times we see something that we're like that's the answer and we have never actually asked the question or like consciously asked the question to ourselves that's exactly it ironically just released a song that the title is a literal question it's, what are we fighting for <laughs> mm. and I wrote it with my friends Alex and Brother Love of Them Vibes on my back porch. It was before the pandemic and there was a lot of stuff going on politically. I'm from the DC area where Brett Kavanaugh is from and Christine Blasey Ford and Mm -hmm. just it was like stirring up a lot of emotions about just that Mm -hmm. culture a little bit that I grew up in. I went to prep school and know exactly who these characters are sure that we're talking about on the news and just it was difficult to write anything so we just started asking a bunch of questions like why are we fighting why aren't we listening just hold my hand if you don't understand like just hear me out mm. it doesn't have any answers but i think just asking the questions helped and then i think you apply that to your career and working backwards, like what you're saying, like, well, what was I trying to satisfy by moving to LA or what are my, do I want to just be famous or, or known? Like I want to make music forever because that's what I love doing. So I don't want to squander that away by trying to do some 
big grab for recognition that isn't going to be something that I really love. Right. And it's like doing music for yourself and then also acknowledging your fans, but you need to like it because you're going to have to sing it for the rest of your life. And I think I made a lot of compromises in the beginning that were like, oh, well, this song's testing really well, so that's the single that we have to go with. And I said, okay, because I had a whole staff of people depending on the success or failure of whatever that single would be at radio instead of doing what you're saying and, and going back to, okay, what song do we love that's going to help us build a career right. and, and follow up with? And there's a little bit of that, but it certainly wasn't the first question being asked. It was what will succeed and sell the most. And that's not the question I ever intended to ask or answer. What was playing the Opry like for the first time? Crazy. I, I just played the other weekend. I hadn't had power because we had storms again in our East Nashville neighborhood. And so my husband and I decided to get a hotel to shower because you take a shower before you play the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> first time I played was in 2012 and... It was very much like welcome into the fold. Mm. That was how I looked at it at the time. And they it is like family. When I go there now, I know everyone by name. The, the band cage that you got to see me rehearsing in one time and we were playing there. It's such a wonderful experience to bring a new song to that band whenever the opportunity hmm. arises because you just see and hear it come to life in real time and then 20 minutes later you're playing it in front of that Opry crowd <laughs> so it's it's an intense experience so the friendliness and the welcoming nature of that building and the people in it kind of help de-escalate any nerves but I was a wreck and uh, I remember exactly what I wore I had like 30 people with me backstage that's the most I've ever been able to bring to the Opry with me hmm. but I think the Grand Ole Opry, I've gotten to play there like 75 times now. And I've worked with all the bookers who book the talent, and I think they get it. Mm. They get what country in Nashville is because they'll have Nathaniel Rateliff on, and then they'll have uh, Bill Anderson, and they'll have Margot Price and then Carly Pierce, like people who are on radio and Kelsey Ballerini, but they are really not, um, they, they don't care about age. They are trying to show everything that country has to offer that I think you're not getting a lot of other places. And that's why I still play at the Opry because my music has enough folk sensibility to work on that stage, but then also have like a Luke Combs hmm. after me, who you would hear in every honky-tonk downtown. Yeah. Uh, so it's a cool spot, and I think they've done a really good job evolving along with Nashville. It's a trip, man. I can't believe it's a real thing. <laughs> it's just one of the greatest things. How many institutions have survived that long, and they are all so hardworking, um, and it's a professional scenario. My husband and I were joking Dan at the Opry probably has never had to leave his house at three in the morning because some acts like 
trashed the green room or got too drunk. Like, you don't do that there. He's probably yeah, in bed church. with like a nice glass of water by like 1030 on an Opry night. And he works so hard, but it's, you know, there's like this structure to it that's really cool. And you'll have like Paul McCartney has been there. Yeah. And of course, Johnny Cash and Charlie Pride. And I, I got to meet Charlie backstage there so many times and that also adds this level of sanctity to the place where you're like I'm not gonna not do well like there's been a lot of really important <laughs> people in this circle and you know you kind of everyone's on their best behavior it's one of the few places that I can drive 15 minutes from my house play for 5,000 people from all over the country or potentially the world and then go home and be at my house and have people stream it from wherever and it's <laughs> it's an institution and it's a really high pressure but also easy gig that is a cool way to see your friends when they're in town. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, I want to ask you about your podcast. Yeah. Tell, tell me about it and just like, like, what's it doing for you? It is doing for me what touring was doing for me, where I got to meet really cool people. I got to watch their sets before or after my show and study that and appreciate their music. <laughs> but it also has allowed for me to because it's not just Nashville artists it's it's women or people of the female perspective who have been long established in music or people that I want other people to know about and I had the time to do this but it's also a way for me to keep the conversation going but not be the subject of the conversation which I think can be it can allow some fatigue to set in for me. I get sick of myself. Yeah. And I think the way that you hone your skills is by consuming. And I've been such a big consumer of music this year. I want everyone to hear what you just said. Yes. <laughs> listen. To make stuff, you need to listen. To stuff. Absolutely. Like the research part is great. I'm just mm. listening to album after album. I've read more memoirs in the last eight months than I've probably ever read in my life. And hmm. then getting to talk to these women who I thought I had an understanding of and there's something new that they reveal. And it's not something that I set out to do to ghettoize women or say like, woe is me, it's so hard to be a woman in this industry. It's because some things are just for the girls. And yeah. I'm an expert at being a woman in the industry and I wanted to talk to other artists. And that's uh, mostly musicians thus far, but we had Leslie Fram, who's the senior vice president of CMT. And she started this movement called Change the Conversation, which is such a great name because it's about amplifying women's voices both on stage off stage in the studio in the boardroom of our industries and it's like let's not talk about this anymore let's do it and here i'm going to introduce you to all of these women and uh, ann powers from npr like listen to what she has to talk about with this wonderful book she wrote like we have a gold mine in nashville in this industry that we're just sitting on 
And Powers is one of the few people that, like, if I see out, I feel like I have seen a celebrity. Yeah. And I see, yeah. like, celebrities all the time, but I'm like, there's Ann Powers. Holy I know, shit. everyone. <laughs> be as smart as you can be now. It's your shot. Exactly. <laughs> and she's awesome. Yeah. She is what I consider to be the litmus test on what is cool in music. And she can tell you why she thinks it's cool more eloquently than anyone I know. And we're like, let's just talk about how cool that is instead of saying what I feel like I had to say for so many years, which was like, why are there in the top 43 women? And two mm -hmm. of them are part of a group. And like, why is this? And so instead I'm just doing what I, I want to see happen. And by promoting women like Jen Hartswick, who, she plays with Trey Anastasio and, and she can play the trumpet and sing and Ruby Amonfu, who's an incredible songwriter and Grammy nominee, like more people should know about them. But then also it's fun to talk to Nancy Wilson and hmm. show everyone how accessible she is and, and amazing because we went on tour together. And when the pandemic started, I just started like I did this with you even on socials i feel like you need to reach out and let people know that you love what they're doing mm. and i started to just have no shame about that because otherwise i would have probably run into you by now and been able to tell you in person <laughs> but people are lonely and isolated and whatever perception we have of how their daily lives are going it's like it never hurts to just literally support another person and, and let them know that they're doing things that are inspiring to you. And it happened really organically. We just launched this podcast with Osiris Media, who's very tied into fish. I'm a bit of a jam band fan, and my, my husband is too. <laughs> and they didn't have a lot of female hosts. So this is something that we wanted to do to rectify that and to also just allow me to connect with women that I think are awesome. And, and, you know, I think gender is less important than the, the perspective that we're talking about. For sure. It's not a gender-based thing. It's more of, like, who are our allies? Yeah. And who are people who are disenfranchised? And it's going to morph more as we continue putting the show together. We've just wrapped up the first season, and the ideas I have for season two are already really exciting creating little asides for the audience so that we don't need to interrupt our conversation like I had this song put on hold I'm like well tell the audience what a hold is and instead I'm going to break yeah. the fourth wall and be like a hold is when an artist could potentially put their song your song on their record and oh, cool. just try to really help demystify which is what you're doing yeah. um, <laughs> this industry and why it is so challenging there's, there's a million steps from writing the song to having it be playing on your speakers at home or wherever and there's so many things that can knock that off and, and keep it from happening and it's just awesome to talk to artists who've been able to find success and, and maintain it right on that's beautiful it's been fun you know, I'm learning just in real time and talking to people about some tough subjects and it's funny and I've cried and I've laughed and that's what it's all about. 
Well, Maggie, thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. I really love this. I'm so excited. Congratulations on relaunching this and thanks for letting me be a part of it. Awesome. I'm so glad that you're here. See you back in Nashville soon. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Nashville Demystified. Thank you so much to Maggie Rose for joining us and talking about us on our first episode back. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick, who is our producer over at Wire Dads and is sitting in for Cameron Davidson. Uh, Cameron is going to be back for the show and we are so grateful for that. I'm so giddy to be working with Cameron again. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. And thank you to We Own This Town for hosting the show and making it possible. I'm I'm just, like I said at the front of the show, I'm, I'm grateful in a hundred different ways. And uh, I'm so happy to be doing this again. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk soon.